Welcome back to The Suzanne Venker Show, where men and women are equal in value, but wildly different by nature. Join us here every week when we challenge the culture's hugely flawed narratives regarding men, women, sex, and love. This program is brought to you in part by Let's Get Real, where forensic accountant Tiffany Couch uses her financial skills to shine the light on the real issues we face every day. If you would like to make decisions based on facts and information rather than on rhetoric and cultural pressure, go to letsgetreallife.com, where you will find, among other things, excellent inspirational blog posts such as Money Lesson One, Let Go of Shame. That's letsgetreallife.com. Today on the show, we're going to talk with Dr. Robert Glover, author of the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, an internationally recognized authority on the nice guy syndrome. But first, a couple of quick announcements. I'd like to remind you all to please become a Patreon subscriber. There are four very economical levels, and when you sign up, you get all kinds of perks, such as free eBooks and a Q&A with me, depending on which tier you choose. All you have to do is go to thesuzannevenkershow.com and scroll down until you see the Become a Patron button in the middle of the page. Also, don't forget to check out my new shop page at suzannevenker.com, where you can purchase my just-released ebook, How to Be a Wife, Seven Steps to a Peaceful and Passionate Relationship with Your Man. Finally, if you're looking for marriage or relationship coaching, just go to my website, suzannevenker.com, and click on Coaching at the top. I was once a nice guy. I wanted to treat people well, and I wanted to be liked. While in my early 30s, in spite of my unwavering faith in this philosophy, my life was in crisis. One marriage had ended, and a second one wasn't going well. My career dreams were stalled. I was frustrated, resentful, and confused. I decided to start working on my situation and joined a men's group. Honestly, my initial goal was to find out why people around me weren't responding so well to my nice guy philosophy, and I wanted to find out how to get them to change. But within a short amount of time, I came to see that the problem was me. I had an agenda. I had no boundaries. I was indirect. I was passive-aggressive. I wasn't honest. I wasn't always so nice. Those are the words of Dr. Robert Glover, author of the book No More Mr. Nice Guy, an internationally recognized authority on the nice guy syndrome. He is a frequent guest on radio talk shows and has been featured in numerous publications. Through his book, online classes, workshops, podcasts, consultation, and therapy groups, Dr. Glover has helped thousands of nice guys transform from being passive, resentful victims to empowered, integrated males. Along with these personal changes have come similar transformations in these men's professional careers and intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, Robert. Suzanne, thank you. I'm excited to be with you. And I'm, I love your background with all the hockey and everything going on behind you. Thank you. I have, it's funny because you can see this, of course, but this podcast is only audio. So the, the viewership will not hear that or see that. But um, yes, I am in the basement where my husband's hockey gear is all over the, not gear, but paraphernalia, I guess yeah, you call yeah. that, right? It, it looks like a really, really macho sports bar. <laughs> it's, it's, it's cool look. It's completely appropriate for this conversation, isn't it, Robert? Let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. This is going to be fun. I've wanted to talk to you for so long, so I'm so excited to finally get you on. First, I want to just make clear, because a lot of my readers won't know who you are, and I want to explain how your work mirrors mine. You and I essentially, the way I look at it, are working with the opposite sides of the same coin. So sure. I know that you have... Um, I know that you've coached and worked with many couples 
where the nice guy, and we're going to get to what that means in just a second, is married to that type A woman with a very different type of personality and how that can often clash. And I've written extensively about that. And I work with those women in how to be married or how to be a wife, if you will, and how to have a relationship with a man um, with whom the... um, who, their personalities are very a, different. They might have a tendency to dominate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and I wrote a book called The Alpha Female's Guide in 2017. Mm-hmm. It's called The Alpha Female's Guide to Men and Marriage. And it was sort of part memoir and part self-help. And it was written to that type A woman who right. uh, that we just described. And it was, a, it was personal for me because it was my parents' dynamic. And I had a front row seat to that growing up. And it affected me dramatically. And so I've always been very fascinated by that dynamic. And I wanted to delve into, you know, getting that right myself in my own marriage. I've struggled. I know you've struggled. We're going to talk about that. And so I I wrote that book as a way to help other women. So that's how you and I sort of, you know. Well, it's interesting because my book is autobiographical as well. It is. So tell people about it. I just use other people's names to tell my story. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, and I was in a lot in the same, very similar context when, when I wrote No More Mr. Nice Guys with a very, very strong woman. And, um, you know, she brought her baggage, I brought my baggage. And I'm eternally grateful to her because she was into self-help. I was already a therapist, already had a PhD in marriage and family therapy, had never done any kind of my own personal therapy or work on myself. And she pushed me into into that and basically said, you know, I can't stay with you because everybody says you're such a nice guy, but you're not. You don't treat me that well. And said, so I can't take your passive aggressiveness anymore. And I'm thinking, I don't even know what passive aggressiveness is. So I actually got started on my own path of personal recovery because she was a strong enough personality to push that. And I valued the relationship at that time. And um, so that's what got me moving and got me forward. She was a very strong personality. And I was that passively pleasing guy trying to make her happy, trying to avoid the conflict, trying to, you know, just make all of us happy. Yeah. And, uh, and it wasn't working very well. And I, I went to therapy trying to figure out why, my, why me being a nice guy didn't make her treat me better and want to have sex with me more often. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I got into some good, some good help. I got into the 12-step program a therapist, and then a men's program, and began to realize some things of, of why the nice guy syndrome was not working well, wasn't serving me, and wasn't serving my partner at all either. And I, I did that require you to go back and think about what you learned growing up, I guess? Well, yeah, it, it, it made me challenge everything I believed about myself in the world, basically. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I grew up, you, know, you mentioned your family of origin. My, my father was, was maybe the, a little bit more typical kind of controlling, dominated, everything revolved around him. My mother was the codependent. I learned from her. She, she told me as a young boy, I'm raising my sons to be different from their father, mm-hmm. i.e. to not be that, that self-centered, you know, what, what we now would probably call toxic male, patriarchal man, and to be the, be the nice guy that treats women well in the ways that my father didn't treat my mother mm. well. So, so then I grew up with that dynamic. I also grew up in a very fundamental Christian church. I have two degrees in religion. I was a minister for mm. about eight years. So that, that whole thing of do it right uh, yeah. played into it. And then I grew up in the 60s and 70s with all the angry feminism that lashed out at men in general, that they're all, you know, an, an erection is a sign of aggression, you know, mm-hmm. and, and 
all of those messages. So I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be the good guy. Well, I want to talk about that because um, you have a whole section in your book called 20th Century History 101, which I just loved. And I'm going to come to that in a minute. But first, I want you to tell people to just describe to them so we're clear, because a nice guy sounds so innocuous, right? What yeah. is a nice guy and why is it a problem? That's, that's a good, good, good place to start. Good question. And I know a lot of people, when they pick up my book or see it, and it's titled No More Mr. Nice Guy, people think, well, why would somebody write a book teaching men to be not nice? There's already a, a plenty of not nice men out there. And of course, that, that is not what it's about. The, and, and I use the nice guy with the capital N, capital G to describe a guy with an internalized paradigm or roadmap of this is how I need to be in the world to be liked and loved and get my needs met. And basically, to just boil it down, a nice guy is a guy who doesn't believe he's okay just as he is. And he believes he has to become what other people want him to be, to be liked and loved and get his needs met. So he's very chameleon-like. And he has to hide certain things about himself that might get a negative reaction from other people. And the things he most often hides are his needs, his wants, his feelings, and his sexuality. Because those are the things as a little boy that probably tended to get a negative reaction if he had needs, wants, feelings, or was sexual. And so they grow up trying to get their needs met, trying to find love, trying to please their partner, all the while becoming, trying to become something that they're not and trying to hide who they are. And as you might imagine, that's not a good recipe for things working very well. It's and it's a lot of work. It sounds it's a hell exhausting. Of a lot of work. Sounds exhausting to somebody who is a uh, what you see is what you get kind of gal. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I try to train men to be is a what you see, what you get kind of guy. Nothing hidden, nothing half-assed. Just show up and be you. Now yeah. that takes work to learn how to show up and just be you. It does. So, what are some of those um, those I don't know how you could describe it. I don't want to say qualities, but things that they do um, to to you know, cover up for their, what you call shame. I need to talk a lot about toxic shame in the book, um, which we can get to that later. But what is the, um, like they avoid conflict, for example, that's a big they, one. They right? do. And the best way to put it is that nice guys tend to not be particularly honest nor particularly transparent. Um, if, if they think the truth of something might upset somebody, they either withhold it completely or they shade it or leave something out or tell it in this way or misdirect. And the lack of transparency, they don't tend to say what they really think, what they mm -hmm. really feel, what they really want, what really isn't working for them. And instead, they, they try to subtly manipulate people and situations to change those situations to avoid their uncomfortable feelings. So that lack of honesty, authenticity, what you see is what you get in this, um, and, and that subtle manipulation, the lack of transparency, the passive aggressiveness that comes with it, the victim pukes that occasionally come with it, really tend to make the nice guy not so nice. And again, it just frustrates him because he thinks he's doing it right. He thinks he's doing it the way you're supposed to do it, to, to, to get people's approval, to get his needs met, to get laid, to, to, to get whatever he's wanting. And he can't figure out why that isn't working. So typically, he just does more of the same thing, doubles down on it, thinking this will work if I just try harder. Have you ever noticed, would you, call, would you say that there's a spectrum to this behavior? Oh, yeah. Or do, yeah sure. I mean, it's not like you either have it and you're have it in spades or you don't have it at all, right? There must be something, there must be a middle ground. 
Probably, probably everything tends to be on a spectrum. Yeah, and of course, and and it can show up in different places in different contexts differently. Some some men at work, you know, are, are not nice guys. They're very assertive and have good boundaries, and they ask for what they want. And then they come. I'll, I'll give you an example. I worked with a woman many many years ago. Uh, like I said, my background's in marriage and family therapy, so I was working with one woman. And um, when she met her husband, he was a cop. And when she met him, she was a dispatcher for the local police department. And so when she met him, she saw him in uniform and she'd go on, um, you know, calls with him and, and got to know this guy in his uniform. Yeah. Then they get together. She leaves the, her job as a dispatcher. They get married and, you know, now they're married and living together. And she says, and, but when he comes home and takes his uniform off, he's passive, he's pleasing, he's avoidant of conflict. He leaves me in charge of everything. And she says, I have to go on ride-alongs with him just to see the man that I fell in love with. Oh. So, so here he was at work being assertive. And, but he came home to his wife and turned into, you know, total Marvin Milk Toast. And, and, and she missed that side of him. Absolutely. And I remember talking with someone recently, a, a wife, who I was trying to explain this, that actually she sort of envisioned that if you're either this way all the time or you're not. And I said, well, actually, no, there are a lot of men who are very successful and assertive in the working world and they come home and they just turn it off. They just let the, the woman rule the roost. And it's such an interesting flip that to me, it's so indicative of that delicate relationship with a woman right? And how being out in the workforce, and this holds true for both women and men, of course, your whole, you know, your reason for being there and what you're doing and the dynamics are completely different from being in this love relationship with a member of the opposite sex. So somewhere in there, in addition to the personality, is the sex differences that we have to account for and how that symbiosis is, is, is intended to work. Well, yeah. And the, the sex differences and, and, for example, take a guy, uh, a, a more modern guy, whether it's a guy my age, I'm in my 60s, or a younger man in his 30s. Most of us men, at least in Western culture, have been primarily raised by women nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, our mothers, uh, a female babysitter, nanny, uh, we go to preschool, elementary school, I had one male teacher, and that was in fourth grade. I didn't have my second male teacher until junior high. It was probably a coach, right? And so boys now grow up without much masculine influence in their life. And so almost everything a little boy has to do is how do you negotiate a woman? How do you make a woman happy so that your life works okay? And so I've often said that, for example, a little boy to get from third to fourth grade, not only has to learn his reading, writing, and arithmetic, but how to please a woman. And kind of the golden rule of men, if you sit and listen to men for very long, the golden rule of masculinity nowadays is don't do anything to piss off the woman. Oh, don't, don't upset the woman. So this, this leads really well into going back to that 20th century history 101 part of the book. So I have to tell people when I read this some years ago, when I got to that, I was so pleased because you touched upon and you may not, again, you may not know this about my work, but this is, you know, dealing with feminism, dealing with the fallout of what happened um, in the last 50, 50 years has been sort of the focus of my work. So to see you, how you pieced together, and I'm going to list them for people, what you wrote there, um, and how it all came together to produce this new dynamic between women and when, mm. between men women and men was awesome. You talked about the loss of fathers, which was yep. the number one, right? 
via divorce or workaholic fathers or passive fathers who let their wives rule the roost. It can be any one of those things, whatever the sure. broken down relationship was with the man so that he wasn't teaching the son how to be a man. And then the female dominated educational system. You also talked about the Vietnam War, which I'm going to have you describe in a second. And then what you called women's lib. And I added slash feminism um, to, and that all those the, all those together is what ultimately created soft males, the soft males, or what you call also boy men that we see today. Right. Do you want to really quickly say what about the Vietnam? Because I thought that was interesting. Well, I, I, I grew up right in high school. It was going on. It, that war ended like my junior year of high school. So I, I already was watching lottery numbers for the draft and things like that. And Looking back at high school pictures, like going through the high school annual, and you look at the men, we all had our, our bell bottoms on, yeah. patched with lots of different patches, lots of color, maybe tie-dye shirts. I had hair down to my shoulders. I had a beard in high school. Um, we were all looking the opposite of our fathers. You know, our fathers that had been in World War II, uh, you know, they, they all had the Tough crew guys. gods. They yeah. were, you know, held their feelings in, mm-hmm. would not wear a pink shirt, you know, <laughs> unless, you know, right. even if they had a gun to their head. And here was, you know, my generation, especially the men a little bit older than me that, you know, had been protesting the war, dropping acid, you know, make love, not war, mm-hmm. you know, tune in, tune out, drop out, um, and the whole summer of love, San Francisco, you know, it was just a different environment. And, and it's probably the main reason that Nixon actually started the war on drugs is, is that all of a sudden he couldn't coerce young men to, to go into the military yeah. and fight this war. But a lot of it was, was we were rejecting the values of our fathers. Right. And it say, look, I got long hair. You know, you, my, you know, dads would not have worn their hair long, got ponytails, got right. flowers, all that stuff. So when you think about that rebellion, combined with the fact that schools are completely catered to girls and girls' needs, and the loss of fathers, which is, to me, the number one issue for boys today, um, and feminism, I'm, I, I don't know how anybody could have expected anything else but what we have today, right? Exactly. It's the perfect storm. It, it's it, the it, perfect it, storm. And so today, you and I, and, and I know people listening, even if they're not working with people like this, they see it left and right, this sort of upside down dynamic between women and men where it's become really a bona fide epidemic of strong, quote unquote, empowered women Mm -hmm. who do not know how to separate what they want to do at the office or whatever during the day with their relationships with men and understand how that relationship works and that all that stuff you're bringing to the table during the day does not work with men and at the same time that's my end of it and then your end of it is hey guys you can't be a pleaser because if you are a pleaser with the average modern woman she is going to lose respect and interest in you respect for and interest in yeah you'll you'll end up in a friend zone before you ever even get into a relationship and yeah and you've here's the deal i i have empathy for men and women both um in a sense both men and women, culturally, at least in Western culture that you and I live in and see, men and women both have kind of drank the Kool-Aid, thinking that, okay, this is, this is how it is. And the men are thinking, 
I'll, I'll be different from my father. I'll be different like the jerks I hear women complain about. I, I won't be a, a me too, hashtag me too casually tale. Uh, you know, I won't be the, one, the man that asserts himself with a woman. I'll, I'll try to please her. I'll ask her what she wants to do. Does she want to go out sometime? Does she want to go to dinner tonight? I'll, I'll let her have what she wants because that's what women want. They want what they want. And the man's just thinking, if I just do that, I'll be loved and appreciated. And the women have swallowed the Kool-Aid that says, achieve, achieve, achieve. If you don't have a career, that you won't be successful. And so they, they do. They take charge of everything in their life. And, and now the, the paradox, as I'm sure you see with a lot of women, is that they can't find a guy. They, That's they, right. They, yeah, they, they, they either scare them all off, they dominate them, they can't find a guy with their earning power um, because the men are sitting around trying to be nice and, and get the approval. And, and so, but everybody thought, you know, if we just do this like we've been told to do it, it's all going to work out because we'll be different than mom and dad. Mom and dad didn't work. So if we just be the 100%, but like they say in 12-step programs, the opposite of crazy is still crazy. <laughs> I always say that. I mean, just went out of went out of one frying pan into another. There's just, exactly. there's this just huge me. chasm in the middle we can deal with, right? This middle ground, um, this and happy isn't place. It great. Isn't it great that women can have careers and, 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 do, and choose and do whatever they want? And there's a, I, I have a quote in the book from Camille Paglia. Yeah. And she, and that awesome. she says, if these working, high, you know, high stress, high pressure women if they come home and don't dial that back, so they're going to castrate everybody in the house, their husband and, and their children, because they're just used to snapping orders, get this done, get this done. get. And again, they don't even think in terms of, you know, okay, um, it'd, be, it'd be like the military father coming home, you know, from, from all day around military, giving orders, and he yeah. came home and did that with his, his wife yeah. and kids. Right. It had the same effect. People do not, right. men, men and women both don't really respond well to be given orders Agreed. by the people they love. Nope. And, and then, you know, if you mix in the whole thing of, for the guy, the nice guy, especially trying to, to maintain what I call the possibility of availability, he is thinking all the time, what is it I need to do to make sure she's in a good mood later on and wants to have sex? Mm. And so, and, but most of the stuff he does to try to guarantee she's in a good mood later on to have sex just bores her or burdens her with even more. Like he says, you know, what, what do you want, want to do? What do you want to do? And she's going, I don't want to come home and make another decision. I'll That's make right. it. I know how to make the decisions, but I don't, I don't want, want to. to. And then if, then when you want to have sex with me later on, that feels like one more decision I've got to make. One more <laughs> thing I've got to do. I've been doing all day long. So how do you help? So most of the people that I work with, Robert, are married or in a relationship. I do occasionally get the single person, but I, my wheelhouse is really the, the relationship. Do you, sure. I, I think you work a lot with single men. Is that correct? No, I, I work with all kinds of men. My, my background, my doctorate's in marriage and family therapy. So probably okay. the first 20 plus years of my career focused a lot on relationships, men and women and couples. But when my book came out now about 17 years ago in, in print, my work pretty much evolved to, to just, it just kind of naturally slid that way to me. Yeah. And so, and then when I got divorced in 2003 and became a single guy in my late forties and, and never had dated at all. Well, mm -hmm. I had to learn how to date. And so that's kind of when I began to get a little bit of a reputation for, you know, working with men around dating. Mm -hmm. And I've got a book called dating essentials, dating essentials for, men. for men. Yeah. But I wrote no more Mr. Nice guy when I was married in my second marriage. And, and so I, I, I guess if I was going to put a label on myself, I, I help men have happy relationships, whether it's finding it. them or, or 
trying to make the ones they're in uh, as happy as can be or knowing how to get out if they need to get out. Tell me, I'm curious about the, the switch from your first marriage to your second. I know you had written in this book that you lost one marriage and then the other one was sort of teetering. Well, I, I, I didn't lose it. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> I, I know where it went. <laughs> um, you got divorced. Okay. And then you, uh, and then you said something about the second one was still sort of, you're struggling there. Is that where, is that exactly when you wrote the book? Well, the, 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 the history of the book is, yeah, my first marriage, I was total nice guy you know, did not lead, did not set, the, but my wife was not dominant either. She, she was more mm. passive than me. So you had two passive avoidant people trying to have a relationship. And, and then when uh, a child came along about eight years into to that relationship and neither one of us knew how to resolve a problem. That's oh, where that's that one went. That's, that's oh, how I lost that one. Got it. Um, the second relationship was with a, a very strong, strong woman, a very powerful woman in, in many ways. And, and you know, a, a kind of a crazy woman in a lot mm-hmm. of ways as mm-hmm. well. I mean, it was a whole package. Thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I loved her dearly. And, um, and, and she was the big stick upside my nice guy head. I could not get away with just slipping by with, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go work on my nice guy issues to make you happy, dear. No, I, that was not going to work. And I'm grateful for that. But so about three years into that relationship, and we were married 14 years in all, about three years into it, I, I got into to my own personal recovery. And I said 12-step group, therapy, men's groups, and started discovering men coming to me for therapy who were repeating the same things I was. I'm a nice guy. I treat her well. I'm better than her ex. I'm raising her kids. I try to do everything to make her happy. I bought her a new Ford Explorer. It didn't have leather seats. She's still not happy. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and so I started uh, some No More Mr. Nice Guy men's groups and started writing what then became No More Mr. Nice Guy. It took about seven years of just, I didn't I set see. out to write a book. I was just writing stuff to give to the guys in my group. So I would say for probably 10 or 11 years of that second marriage, I was working on me and growing both an understanding of nice guy syndrome, growing mm-hmm. as a person, um, becoming more honest. That's like one of the first things I went to work on was learning to be honest. Second thing I went to work on was making my needs a priority and being mm-hmm. clear about them. Uh, and then just a lot of other stuff. I did start getting reconnected with men because I'd completely cut myself off from men. Mm. I thought she wanted me to. That's a big one today for around. a lot of husbands. Yeah, that's a huge, huge one. Huge. I, huge. I, I'm a big preacher of tribe and men having Agreed. connection. When couples would come to me for couples therapy, first session, I would tell both of them, the best thing you guys can do for your marriage is have good same-sex friends. Definitely. Woman needs her woman friends. Guy needs guy friends. Another person of the opposite sex cannot meet all of our needs in life. And that's why so many relationships dissolve. We have this expectation. Well, because we love each other and want to be together, everything should work out just fine. Right. And then they're going to be everything to you. Like one person can possibly fulfill all those needs. That's just... Too many many romantic pop songs and movies. I even heard that Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet to show the fallacy of romantic love. Oh, we love each other. Let's kill ourselves. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so that's where I was in that relationship and I, and I was growing. And what I really, when, when that relationship finally did come to an end, I realized that I'd made a tremendous amount of changes. All the ones that my wife said, you need to make these changes. So I'll quit yelling at you or so I'll have sex with you or so I'll be happy. And, and none of that ever changed. And I realized, okay, I've changed. She's stuck where she's at. That's my version of the story. Yeah. And, and so I realized it was another part of my 
progress of recovery was being a good ender, which I'm not. A good what? A good ender. I do not end well. Oh. Um, I stay way too long in oh, too many I see situations. You don't get out. I don't get out yeah. because I, you know, well, number one, I watched my parents be unhappily married till my father died, you know, about 11 years ago. And then my mother started having a good life after my father oh. passed away. So no, I have no role model I had to get out. And I'm that, I'm the eternal optimist. Oh, mm-hmm. they have these good qualities that I love and care about. And if we just keep working at it, those good qualities will, will get bigger and the bad qualities will get smaller. In my experience, the opposite usually happens the longer you stay. The bad qualities get bigger, the good qualities get smaller. So yeah, I, I wrote the book while I was married to my second wife. And paradoxically, coincidentally, I don't know, um, the book I separated and the book came out in the same year. Um, oh. so, uh, I, that wasn't planned, but it's just how it worked. Robert, that's so, I mean, it's just, the parallels are just really unbelievable. So I was married before. Um, once. Did you lose that marriage? Uh, yeah, I lost it. I don't know what happened to it. I just, it just disappeared. It went away. Um, no, that was four years, no kids in my 20s. And then I remarried. I've been married to my second husband for 22 years. Um, but similar process that you just described in that trying to change myself and the alpha females guide was like I said, the same book as you, but on the other side with the woman Mm -hmm. who's too strong, who doesn't know when to just shut up, you know, and not say anything. Um, Just sort of the flip side, like that strong woman that you described. I don't know that I'd be the extreme that you, the woman you were married to. I'm not, but I had these tendencies and I wanted not to have them basically, because that's what I saw with my mom. And so I was constantly working on myself throughout the writing of that book. Sure, that's sure. really interesting. Um, yeah. Fortunately, I. Um, that's the best way to write a book. Is go, it really go, is? Go 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 write about what you're working on in yourself. Absolutely, and you want to, and you get so emboldened by what's happening. You just want to tell everybody, "Hey, mm-hmm. you can do this too. This sure. is my story." And you don't want to just sit there with that information. That makes me crazy. I want to help. I want to you know, other people to experience it. So that's how that came to be, which is how I ended up finding your book because I was reading your book while I was doing research for that book. Um, and that's why the similarities were so, were so interesting. Okay, so, so we talked about the history of, of what happened over 50 years to sort of create these soft males that we have today. And then the flips, not the flip side, but the other piece of that is what you and I have already alluded to, which is, of course, is your upbringing. So it's sort of a combination of this cultural influences that have done its damage, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then you also have your upbringing, which um, you get into in the book as far as um, how, and this holds true for, it's not just for a nice guy, this is also just for all of us. When you have very dysfunctional upbringings, as a child, you have to create ways to cope, right? Sure. And so you're, you're doing it through this naive young view of, okay, I just want to get through the day. I need to cope. What can I do? And so you create these sort of um, either habits or ideas about the world that worked at the time, but fast forward 15 or 20 years, if you're still holding on to them, your relationships are not going to work with that very immature right. view of the world. So talk exactly. a little bit about that and how that works for the nice guy. Yeah, well, let me just say how it works for everybody, and then we'll, we'll apply it to the nice guy, because you're right, you've given a good synopsis, is that when a baby's born, and we were all babies, right? We, we all came out, um, 
and of course very dependent, very needy, very mature. And the, the most evolved developed part of our brain at that time was the primitive brainstem and the, the amygdala, which controls uh, survival, respiration, heartbeat, and the fight, flight, freeze mechanism. And it's about the size of your little fingernail down on the brainstem. It's the most primitive part of the human brain and is wired into every other part of the human brain. Now, at least for men, the rest of our brain doesn't start develop, stop, doesn't finish developing until about age 25 years old. That's why our car insurance goes down when you quit doing so many stupid yeah. things. Probably a good reason not to send somebody under 25 into a war zone as well. Yeah. Uh, their brains are not ready for it, yeah. if, if they ever are. Uh, I think over 25, they're not stupid enough to go. So what happens is, is children, we're, we're grandiose and narcissistic by nature. The world revolves around us. We think we are the cause mm-hmm. of everything right. in the world. So whenever we feel anything, discomfort, we're hungry and we're not fed, or, you know, we're cold and not held, or we're lonely and not held, or we're, we're dirty and not changed, or, you know, take it to the larger extremes. Maybe there's conflict in our home. Maybe our mom's depressed. Maybe dad's an alcoholic. Maybe there's violence. Maybe there's abuse. Doesn't matter what it is to the baby. The baby just feels discomfort and pain. That's all. And the baby emotionally internalized, not verbally, because we don't have verbal knowledge for a few more years yet. And we'd have no picture memory, but it stores up an emotional memory that I am the cause of what's happening. That's the toxic shape. I'm bad. I'm unlovable. Look, I may Excuse me, let me interrupt you for a second, though. It can go on beyond baby stage, though, right? Well, wait, this is where it begins. It okay. begins in baby stage. And what happens is by, by the time we actually, around four or five, actually started having enough brain development that, you know, we're, we're, we're like, we're, look, we're looking more like little mini adults by about four or five. But yes, by then, that amygdala has already stored up our emotional operating system. It's like a computer. It's the DOS, the machine language. It's what tells the rest of the computer how to operate. It's what it tells the apps how to do what they do. All the rest of what we do in life is apps built on top of the machine language of that emotional memory. Again, it's not stored up in verbal memory. It's not logical. It's purely emotional, and it influences every, every thought, decision, feeling, memory, action that we have. Now, as little babies, because we don't like feeling uncomfortable, and we're still pretty primitive, we don't have a lot of resources or thinking power to, to come up with the, how, how do I deal with being uncomfortable, we develop two survival mechanisms. One is to try to, to soothe the discomfort we feel right now. So we might suck our thumb, we might eat, we might cry, we might sleep, we might throw a tantrum. We, we do something to try to mm-hmm. manage the uncomfortable feeling mm-hmm. states now. Every, chi- every baby does this. The second thing that a baby develops, and this is actually, you know, kind of almost like rocket science can, for what a baby can do, is they try to develop defense mechanisms to prevent future occurrences of these same uncomfortable feelings. So they learn at an early age, if they do something and mom frowns, babies quit yeah. doing that. Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. if they do something and, and, and somebody gets angry, babies quit sure. doing it. And they also have receptors in their brain, we all do, where anxiety is contagious in human emotional systems. When mom and dad are anxious, baby absorbs it. Oh, I must have caused that. I need to do something different to not cause that. Okay, this is all in our emotional operating system. Yes, and then from about four or five on, 
we start finding experiences that give picture memory and word memory to the emotional memory we have. And then in, in probably late adolescence and early adulthood, we, we crystallize this. It becomes mm -hmm. concrete in our personality as we try to figure out how do I fit into the world? How do I get mm -hmm. love? How do I succeed? How do I have a life beyond being a kid, right? That stuff gets really crystallized in our personality. And we believe every. The human mind believes everything the human mind tells itself is oh, true. Absolutely. It's true for everybody. Yep. Everybody else may be watching going, what the hell are they thinking? But we're going, it makes common sense. Mm -hmm. Even as crazy as your, your, your brain might say, eat that whole box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Mm -hmm. That seems like a good idea. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as you get done eating the whole box of Krispy Kreme donuts, your mind, same brain, same mind it, says, saying, what the hell did you do that for? What are you thinking? <laughs> well, why'd you do that? You're a it fool. Is, you know? That's so, amazing. That's what minds do to us. Okay, so then we go into adulthood carrying with us those survival mechanisms. Mm -hmm. How do I avoid pain? How do I avoid How do I comfort? How do I cope? How yeah. do I deal with what I'm feeling now? How do I try to prevent it in the future? Now, add to that, we all also have another little dynamic that's related and very similar, is I call it our number one relationship fear. We all grow, we all want to be connected as part of our DNA. Uh, as, as humans, we lived in tribes for a million and a half years. Connection is part of who we are. And so we all want to be connected. Nowadays, we don't have tribes. So we said, oh, you got to get a girlfriend if you want connection. You got to get a boyfriend if you want connection. And it, it's a terrible way to go get those tribal needs met. But it's what's been handed you to mean us. in terms of um wanting everything to be with one person well yeah, concept, to, to, yeah. To, to get every human need yeah, met exactly through through, yeah. through a partner of the yep. opposite sex who's also trying to get all their needs met agreed yeah you mm -hmm. so it's a terrible way to do it but it's the only model that gets handed mm -hmm. to us in our, in our culture and so but we've also got what i call our number one relationship fear and that is whatever was uncomfortable or painful to us in our first relationship with mom and dad, we will come, become adolescents and adults with that as our core relationship fear. And I love in workshops or seminars, go around the room and ask, since I mainly work with guys, but I imagine for women, it's pretty similar. Mm -hmm. What's your number one relationship fear? What are the things you're most afraid of if you get involved with a woman? Well, I'll get smothered, I'll get trapped, I'll get abandoned, I'll get cheated on, I'll get abused, I'll get hurt, I'll be found out, I'll be blah, blah. You're nodding your head. So yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're all the same. So now we get into relationship with this fear, right? We want to be connected, but we got this fear. We also have what I call our number one relationship fear defense mechanism. What are we doing to try to avoid that number one fear? So well, if, if I'm afraid of being smothered, I'm not going to let you get too close to me. If I'm yeah. afraid of being found out, I'm not going to let you really mm -hmm. know me. If I'm afraid of you cheating on me, well, I'll try my best to, you know, always do everything right. So you never, you know, cheat on me, but I'll be suspicious all the time. So now we've got two people getting together with all this stuff they internalized in the emotional part of their brain of, of what, the, what are they most afraid of while they're actually trying to get close to somebody, how they're protecting themselves from what they're afraid of as they're trying to get close to somebody. And two people are doing that together. And we wonder why we lose <laughs> these yeah. marriages and relationships it, it, it's 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 it's, just, it's, you know, again, it's, it's a lot it's a lot it's it's very complex and so there was a new study out recently um that showed it really at the end of the day it was, it was sort of groundbreaking and kind of surprising to the um researchers researchers but as is as important as a good personality match can be and it can be good right there's better matches mm -hmm. than others there's easier matches it doesn't 
the, the number one thing that will determine your success is actually your commitment to being married and to staying married. So you're, you're talking about the difficulties of being married with one person for yeah. eons and it is. Um, but that one thing kind of trumps everything else where if you have both people who believe in that and put that commitment first, they work harder, right. To yeah. deal with, um, whatever's coming their way and they're more uh, committed to d- making the changes that are necessary. This is the ideal, of course, scenario. Sure. And you can see, of course, this is difficult, which is why people bow out because it's just, it, it is a lot. Um, and, and sometimes we need to bow out because the other person is not committed to working on their pieces that, are, that make them difficult to live, live with. But what you're saying is like, people say, well, Robert, you're a marriage therapist and you've been married three times. Like, you know, like there's something wrong with that picture. Well, I'm the person, if I'm, if I'm going to be in a relationship with somebody, I'm going to marry them. And I know plenty of people my age that have been in more relationships sure. than me, but because they didn't marry them, as you say, you can walk away from them a lot easier. You don't go through the difficult parts, but they don't have that quote stigma of, you know, having lost a marriage or being yes, married. Yes, that's true. That's true. And also the other flip side of that is there's two ways of looking at that. I look at people who have quote unquote, failed, if you want to use that word, or, you know, I, learn, I, I, learned. I actually never use that Yeah, term that's fine. Marriage, I know but... people don't like that. And I, I don't know. I, I, I've thought a little bit about it being divorced and as, I don't know how I would describe it, but at any rate, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, um, I think that you have more to share. In other words, two people, some people will look at it that and say, well, who are you to tell anybody because look at you. And I'm thinking, no, it's because they did. They're trying to help yeah. you not be that, well, not get in that same boat. I tell people, and probably you, you have the same feeling about your book. I tell people, no more Mr. Nice Guy is not a chronicle of my successes. It's a record of my fuck-ups. It's all the exactly. stuff I've bumbled. And, and oh, my God. With a PhD in marriage and family therapy, I've still bumbled my way through every relationship. <laughs> Why? Because they don't come naturally for us. No. We're trying to do something unnatural with, with no tools and bad role models. Absolutely. And, and I, here's the thing. I Well, I was Where? just going to say, I'd rather, no, I want to hear what we're going to about to say, but I was just going to say, I'd rather hear from somebody who's been there, done that, and came out on the other end than and somebody who something. just slaps a PhD on the wall and just, you know, says I, you know, whatever those credentials may be. I want to go to the person who's been there, done that. When you got married, things were perfect. You were both in love and life was good. Then somewhere along the line, everything changed. She changed, or maybe he did. Either which way, now your relationship feels, well, hard. I coach husbands and wives who feel lonely, disrespected, or misunderstood in their relationship. So many women today are desperate for their husbands to step up to the plate, to make a decision and to stick to it, to lead rather than to follow. Ladies, you have the power to make it happen. Men respond best to women who are grounded in their feminine core. As for husbands, so many of them want their wives to stop nagging and to just trust them, to smile more and to complain less, to look at them the way they did when they were first dating. Men, you have the power to make it happen. Women respond best to men who are grounded in their masculine core. The secret to lasting love rests in the masculine-feminine dance. Once you master it, your relationship will no longer be difficult. You'll be moving with the biological tide rather than against it. And that makes marriage smooth sailing. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel frustrated or alone, I can help. Just go to SuzanneVenker.com, that's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R.com, and click on the coaching button at the top. Don't wait another minute to acquire the mindset you need to find love and to sustain it. It's so much easier than you think. That's SuzanneVenker.com. 
Yeah, and I, 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 I want somebody that's had experiences, not, not, not just like you say, have, have a, a diploma. Um, now I forgot what it's going to I'm so sorry. So he'll, he'll come back. Maybe he'll come back does. to you. Okay. Um, okay. So, so those are the two areas I wanted to cover with is just sort of understanding the culture and the messages there and not just the messages, but the experiences and what's happened over 50 years to create this scenario. And then also the childhood experiences, which you just explained so well. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you're in this situation because of your upbringing or the culture. I find myself sort of, whenever I'm writing about this, I, I always throw in there, you know, whether it was from the culture or your parenting, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, you, you're in this place and you don't yeah. want to be. And so how are we going to move forward? Right. That's and so what, frame it. Yeah. yeah, what are, explain what's wrong with being a nice guy, what will happen? What, what, what that invariably sets up in a relationship, particularly a relationship. And I don't know, this is kind of interesting. You talked about having been married to someone who was as passive as you once were. I'm coming at it from a different perspective as my listeners will know. I'm always talking about that type A woman with sure. sort of the type B guy, we, but it doesn't have to be that dynamic. So go ahead and explain yeah, why I, it doesn't work in, in any, I guess, <laughs> scenario. Well, well, basically, you know, and, and as I've, I've kind of mentioned in, in different ways, the nice guy's not particularly honest, not particularly transparent, not very good at getting his needs met so, so because out of that neediness he then tends to become he hides a lot of stuff uh becomes subtly manipulative or not so subtly manipulative often gets resentful frustrated rageful even because his needs aren't getting met because his covert contracts aren't getting met i've done this but you you aren't doing this back and this is true for single men that you know the thing if i treat a woman really nice and listen to her talk and buy her stuff and help her sister move then she'll want to be my girlfriend and want to have sex with me so it happens with single men and of course it happens in the relationship that if if the nice guy just you use the term just is not showing up as a what you see what you get kind of guy so how do you get close to that yeah, exactly. How, how do you want to have sex with that? How, how do you trust that? And one of the things I've been saying to men for a long time, no matter how accomplished or type A a, a woman is, by nature, women are security-seeking creatures. Absolutely. They've never, yeah. I, I tell guys, ask any woman you know, does she feel safe walking down her own neighborhood at night? And that's a whole hashtag me too. That's just a big statement of women saying, we're not safe, Right. Stuff happens to us, and that goes back through all of human history. So trust is everything for a feminine creature, no matter how powerful she might be. Trust is everything. Nice guys are fundamentally untrustworthy. Not that we lie about everything, but for example, one of the most common dynamics uh, I've dealt with with men in relationship is their porn addiction, is hiding this thing that they're, they're online looking at porn all the time. And every time they get caught, they promise their partner, oh, I'm done, I won't do it again, blah, 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 blah. And like they say with most addictions, it's not a quitting problem, it's a starting problem. Everybody's an addiction quits all the time, but they start it again. So it's those kind of behaviors that, that really set the nice guy up to not be so nice in a relationship. And when you add to that, no matter how strong a woman is, my experience is that the majority of women don't want to make all the decisions in the relationship. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. They can, and they will. And if the guy thinks, well, she likes being in control, I'll just let her. And the woman's going, one more decision I have to make. Bingo. And, and I've, I've known so many women, like when, when, when I was doing couples therapy, you know, I 
found that you have to start working with a man first in couples therapy. It's kind of like dance class. You got to teach the guy to lead on the dance floor for the woman to have somebody to follow the lead. If I teach the woman to dance first, who's, who's going to lead the dance? And I tell guys that. And so I start with the man. I start with the things like, you know, showing up, the woman's need for trust, his need to be honest, uh, his need to, to set the tone and lead, not control anything in the relationship, but to show up. Like I've always said, a woman shouldn't have to drag a man into couples therapy. The man should be saying to the woman, we've got stuff we're not dealing with well. Let's go get help. I think that's the man's leadership role in a relationship, to be the one that talks about the difficult things, not the avoider of them. So when all of that gets put on the woman, most women, as you say, are pretty strong. They can just pick up the slack of that. But then again, they feel overburdened. It kills their sex drive towards their partner. Um, they don't want to be the little boy that's just trying to please them or leaving everything up. How many women do you know, you know, if they've got two kids, they'll often say, oh, I've got three kids, you know, their husband and the two, the two kids, because everything's left to them. And as the woman you work with, and you probably relate to it, they, they can do it and they will do it. They'll, they'll just step up and take care of everything. I often say that, you know, a woman, most women can be the strongest person in the room, but that doesn't mean they want to be. And, and so when a man shows up with consciousness, with presence, who's willing to deal with difficult issues, who's willing to tell the truth, who, who's willing to say, hey, let's go do this, who's willing to say to his woman, hey, Friday night, 7 o'clock, black party dress, high heels, I'm not telling you where we're going, but be ready. You know. So, and you've touched on, I mean, that's exactly the dynamic that I deal with every day. And I have a different, I don't have a different take on it, but I have a different approach because I'm dealing with the women. And so in the same way that you want to teach the men to lead first, and I do have some men actually that I work with, but I think ultimately they want to hear that more from a man, which I totally get. Um, I think you can bring out a man's leadership as a woman by not being the dominating force and that your softness and your femininity is the key to bringing out that leader you're looking for. And you're smothering his ability to do that by constantly taking over because in addition to this personality issue of being a nice guy or whatever, mm. men also as a rule have a desire to see their wives happy. Like that's a, that's a sex difference. Yeah. That's a male thing, whether you're a nice guy or, or you're not a nice guy. Yeah. And so you, there's a mixture there of dealing. That's why I was talking about the sex differences earlier, that it gets kind of mush. Uh, what's the word? Well, mushy, I was going to say, because yeah, it, gets, it gets mushy. That's a good thing. It gets mushy term. because it's a, a mixture of the personality conflict, but then also the male provider protector gene with the woman um, wanting to, you're talking about women wanting to relax. Well, the only way they're going to be able to relax is if the man steps up. Okay, well, how do you get the man to step up? Well, maybe stop stepping up and he will. And then he says, well, but if I do that, then she always overrules me. And it's like this back and forth. You yeah, know what I'm talking I've about. Heard it all. I've heard and it. I happen to believe that either one can go first. That's my, I work with the women on going first and you clearly work with the men on going first, but I think either one technically can, but that it's more yeah. natural for the women to, because women are typically the relationship navigators and they're more nuanced and they see more on the emotional side. So if they recognize and understand men and tap into that femininity and get out of that masculine mode that they've been taught to be in all the time, he will over time step up. That's, that's sort of my argument. <laughs> my and I, argument. Man, I, I support you on that. And, and here's, here's, here's the reality of what I've typically seen. Cause like I said, when I, when I was working with couples and I'd start, 
the conversation out talking about the man setting the tone and leading and his wife needing trust. The women would often like look at their husband and go, I like this guy. He understands yeah. women. And, and then the women actually then start ratting themselves out. Well, I, I do this and I know I, I don't always treat him well. And I know I can be controlling. They, and that, that's my door then to start. Working mm, with them. Yeah. And I actually think it's more difficult for that this strong woman to let go and wait for her man than it is to teach men how to step up and overcome their fear that they might do it wrong and piss her off. Because here's the deal. Most strong women have been strong little girls since they were like three. They, 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 they probably always had that, well, this needs done, I'm going to do it. And to get a woman who's used to just getting it done to say, sit with it for a while. <laughs> wait until he figures out the garbage needs taken out. You know, wait until, you know, like I've taught my mother, I've taught every woman I've been in with to wait for me to open their door. I'm going to come around and open your door. My mother does it now. My 13-year-old granddaughter knows to wait for me to open her car yeah. door. My, my mother, when I taught her to do it, after my father had passed away, so six, seven years ago, um, she said, if, if I waited for your father to open my door, I'd still be waiting. Well, so th this is interesting because, so, I mean, you, the idea is not that you're technically don't, don't step up and just wait around. There's all these things you can do in the process that um, naturally when you do something different, the other person has to, it's just that it's that yin, yin and yang. And it's very natural when you step back for him to step up. And it's, it's not necessarily something that will take a long time. If you know enough, well, that was the whole purpose of the alpha book. It was like giving yeah. all these suggestions. To, for to, all. To, it's to not just sit there and do nothing. There's a whole you know series of things you can do that are so dramatically different from what you're used to doing that it's just going to naturally change the dynamic. It can't not, you know, you talk about that in your book. If one person does something so, the other person's going to invariably have to shift. change yeah yeah and, so it'll and, shift and I, and i love that and i love that, that yeah it isn't one person's job to make this system be different and of course because you know i tend to work with men i i come i get the big stick out with the yeah. men i'm so you glad work you work with do. women and, and you you get whatever big stick you have with, with the women i'm going to start um, sending the men to you robert because they'll say to me well how i get so many people will be uh, husbands will be like I saw your book. I looked at your book. How do I get her to read your book? <laughs> and I would say yeah. to them, you can't make somebody else do anything, right? No. You can change yourself though. And so it's that same concept, but I think it's harder coming from a woman than from a man. So I'll just send them on over to you, Robert. Send them my way. You know, this, I'm smiling because I, <laughs> on my website, over the years, I've recorded a, a lot of podcasts, not, not interview stuff, but more informative Q&A podcasts. Guys have asked me questions in classes, so I've recorded, and I've got about 200 of them. Uh, a lot of them were about dating, but a lot about relationship. So of all these 200 recorded podcasts that people can buy for $5.99 on my website, the number one most popular podcast is How to Deal with Strong and Controlling Women. Yes. <laughs> The number, two, all, right? the number two most popular podcast is how to deal with premature ejaculation. And, and, and when I see somebody order the same two podcasts on the same order, I'm, I'm that thinking, is interesting. It, I'm a little it, confused. I read, I mean, I remember reading about that and I don't have, I'm sorry to bring my personal life into it, but I don't have much experience with that. I don't understand how that relates to the nice guy thing. I didn't quite get that. Okay. Because for the nice guy, remember I mentioned earlier, one of the things they tend to hide is their sexuality. So their sexuality- When you say that, though, do you mean how much they want sex? 
They hide everything. Everything. Everything about their sexuality. The fact that they get erections, the fact that they think about sex, the fact that they objectify other women, the fact that they look at porn, the fact that they want to have sex with their wife, the, the fact that they have dirty fantasies. Okay. They, mm -hmm. they hide it all. It all. I mean, okay. and they often hide a lot of it from themselves. They just push it all way underground. Okay. So any, I mean, sex is such, it is, it is the universal life force, mm -hmm. right? It is huge. Um, it, it drives everything. And to push that down, it, it's going to have an effect, right? And so when a man pushes down his sexuality, he pushes down his chi, his life force, his energy, the thing that empowers him to penetrate women and world. So, so that means if he's pushing everything down, and especially if he's jacking off a lot to porn and trying to come as quickly as possible so he doesn't get caught and get in trouble, wrap shame around his sexuality, he's going to have problems with his phallicness, so to speak. Not even just literal phallicness, but so know, is, energeticness. Is he doing that so much because he can't ask for sex when he wants it from his wife or initiate it? No, this begins long before they ever get in relationship. Oh, oh okay. This begins when they are scolded for touching their PP at two oh, years yeah. old. Yeah. This begins when they hear religious messages. This begins when they get bombarded with sexual stimuli in Western culture, but still there's the underlying message, sex is dirty, sinful, and evil, mm -hmm. so save it for the one you love. Um, we have so many mixed messages sexually in our culture. And this, it also begins, thanks to good old Freud, when the boy falls in love with his mother and wants to possess his mother, but then has to repress his own sex drive towards his mother because he might get castrated by his father, who's angry about that. That, that, that really is a real dynamic in little boys of wanting to possess their mother, but then they know their mother might be disgusted with them if they have sexual desire, so they repress it. So, you know, and then, then like I say, the whole hashtag me too, radical feminism, sex is bad, heterosexuals, sex is, is inherently abusive. All the messages men get, they hide it. They push, they, and, and then when, then like, you know, my son's 35 and he grew up with broad, bad and internet. And that meant when he was like 13, 14, 15 years old, and he spent all of his day downloading porn and stealing music on Napster, we had to go back to dial up just to get, you know, my son and stepson off of, most men have grown up, now they just got a steady stream of every type of sexuality that they can find, and they do it in hiding. So most men have learned to hide every aspect of their sexuality, even the fact that they want to have sex with their partner. They all think that once they get a partner and get in a relationship, then they'll quit looking at the porn and lose the fantasy world. It doesn't because sex with a real life person is complicated. It always is. There's two people with wants and desires and wishes and insecurities and defense mechanisms. It's complicated. And, and the men are, We'll, we'll always go back to that nice, safe, easy, safe sex. Oh, I'll, I, I can just go look at porn again for a while and masturbate, and then life goes on. So going back to the premature ejaculation, that you're connecting this with it because when any kind of Any kind of what might be called sexual dysfunction, not being able to get erections, coming too okay. quickly, okay. Um, all the ways that a man has programmed himself to not be able to have, you know, mature heterosexual or any kind of mature sex with another live human being. Um, so I want to read a paragraph from the middle of your book uh, where you have it above the, the subtitle is, but he seemed like such a nice guy because this is what I'm dealing with a lot in my coaching. So it really stood out. 
You wrote, it is not unusual for unsuspecting people to mistake the passive, pleasing, and generous characteristics of a nice guy for those of a healthy male. To many women, the nice guy initially appears to be a real catch because the nice guy is different from the other men they've been with. And then you go on to explain how unfortunately those negative traits listed above find a way to ooze out into the nice guy's lives. Right. So I, I can't tell you how many women I end up hearing from who essentially had this long list of partners throughout their 20s and 30 is around the corner and they want a baby. I mean, I'm going to put mm-hmm. this in just brass tacks. This is really what it is. We don't, <laughs> sure. you don't say it that way, but that's really what it is. They want a baby and they pretty much grab the nicest, closest, safest guy they happen to either be with at the time or whatever they would, that whole issue of wanting a family is getting in the way of being able to accurately assess the type of person that they're marrying. And because they have been around and perhaps went with a lot of bad boys, they go the, they have what I call the dysfunctional pendulum swing where they go the other direction and um, they just want the safest guy possible. Well, let me tell you what that safe guy looks like. It's, I mean, I wasn't kidding when I'm saying it's an epidemic. They're not even looking whether or not this guy is, is, is um, gainfully employed. All they want is for them to be safe and give that five or six years. They're absolutely miserable because this guy can't hold a job or he's, or he's just generally not ambitious enough to be able to take care of his family. And so she feels um, she has, doesn't have the flexibility to, to, uh, have a family and be live a more relaxed life. Like she's got to be the breadwinner. So I have a lot of women who are basically the family breadwinners and they're absolutely miserable. Yeah. It's not even yeah. shared. It's, it's, they are it. And it's because, well, he was so nice. He was really, and they are, they're good guys. Like there's guys that are going to be abusive. The jerks. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Jerks, the yeah. jerks maybe couldn't hold a job either, but they were fun and exciting and stole money from them and slept with their best friend and, and, you know, wouldn't call them for weeks at a time, but it created excitement and energy. But now they go, I don't want that all my life. I want something calmer. Yes. And they go, they go to the calm guy. They go to that dysfunctional pendulum swing where I want to say, did you not even, like I even, I even said in several of my articles and definitely one of my books, 22 years ago, if my husband was not on, he wasn't my husband at the time, I wouldn't have even looked at a guy who was not on a steady, you didn't have to be rich. You just had to be on a steady career track where I could feel safe and trust that you could bring home a paycheck every two weeks. I wouldn't have married an artist type. Sorry, no offense to artists, but you know what I mean, (laughs) where I don't know what's going to happen on every given month. That's too nerve wracking. And so I'm telling you, young women do not think like that. It doesn't even dawn on them to make sure that the man they're dating is, is, um, is, is, is going to be a provider in any way. And it's just, it's heart wrenching for me because to watch them 10 years later, their, their lives are really, really bad. And I'll, I'll give, I'll give the women a clue of some things to look for to, to, okay, to just pay attention good. to. Um, well, number one, does he tell the truth about all things? If, if you catch a man in a lie, a half truth, you found, you found a little boy basically who's afraid of getting in trouble with mommy and, You'll never know what he tells you is true or not. So does he tell the truth? And if a man will do the difficult thing, like tell the truth, you know he'll do other difficult things in life. You know, pursuing a career is difficult. Another piece related to that, does he follow through? Does he say something and follow through on it? 
or does he get easily distracted or does he come up with an excuse or does follow through is everything that to me that that is the ultimate masculine trait that makes women feel safe i think those two really mm -hmm. together the honesty and the follow through because i promise you i I'll, I'll watch my wife she's a gym rat we, we have a gym in our house so um she she works out regularly I, I, I like to exercise, but I'm not, I'm not one of those that like, I go crazy if I don't get to the gym, you know, mm -hmm, every day. Mm -hmm. uh, I know the value of it and I like to take care of myself, but you know, there are days that come and go and maybe a week that comes and go sure. where I have good intentions and I don't get to the gym. All right. That lack of follow through makes my wife not feel secure with me. Yeah. Now, I'm the same, same, same. She, she's, a, she's a good woman. She won't nag me about getting to the gym. Every now and then she'll give me a polite prod in that direction. But every now and then a little sideways thing slips out. And she goes, well, you know, it has been a while that since you worked out. I go, I worked out yesterday. She goes, yeah, but it had been a while before then. She isn't mean, yeah. but I know she's watching that. She's yeah. watching, do I follow through? And so if she sees I don't follow through on something like just getting into the gym on a regular basis, she has to wonder what else don't I follow through on? Where else can't she trust me? What else is she going to have to pick the slack up on? What else do I say I'm going to do? If she won't know for sure. Am I really going to do it? So I'd say that to the, to the women is, is they're testing. I tell men the whole purpose of dating is to test a woman's nature. What is her nature and how does she fit into your life? I would say the same thing to women. What is his nature? How does he fit into your life? Um, is, is he fun? You know, that's a good thing to know. Is he intelligent? That's a good thing. Does he have a sense of humor? Those are good things. But more importantly, is he honest? Is everything he tells you true? Have you ever caught him in a half truth? If you have, that's untruthfulness. Does he follow through? Look for that stuff. Because if he follows throughs on what he says he's going to do, he'll probably follow through on, on every significant thing in the relationship. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, the, the, the marriage and the commitment to, to it helps people get through difficult yeah. times. I like the word commitment. Commitment is a word we use to help us deal with something that doesn't come easily. Mm -hmm. Doing relationships, I've already pointed out, is not easy. I call them powerful personal growth machines, but personal growth doesn't come easily. I think the commitment we can make to the important things in our life, right, no matter what they are, the commitment says, I'm going to do the stuff that doesn't come easily for me. And that's the kind of man your women want is the guy who will commit to not doing this, to doing things beyond just what comes easy. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Then, then, you know, they have the, the, um, what's the word to go the long, to go the mile, go the extra mile or go yeah. all the way or whatever. Yeah. And it's they, not about do not it in failing small things. They'll do it in big things. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about not messing up or not failing in anything. It's about, do you get up the next day? You know, and yeah. do you keep trying and do you keep working at it? And do you, yeah. And I just, yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So I'm going to do something a little differently before we close Robert. And I normally, I do my email of the day after I've said goodbye to my guests and I'm closing out and I do the email of the day, but I'm going to do it with you this time. All right. I'm going to read this email because it's so related to this, to what we're talking about. And it also shows uh, again, to, to go to circle back to how I started shows how our work sort of mirrors one another. This is actually from a man. His name is Leonard. And he wrote, and he writes, Suzanne, dear Suzanne, I read the first chapter of your new ebook, How to Be a Wife. 
I just put that out a couple of weeks ago. Um, however, many women who have been raised to be quote unquote modern women, and he's basically talking about the type of strong and powerful independent mm-hmm, that we've talked sure. about, will be feminine early on in a relationship, but after a time will revert back to being the modern woman mentality. While we were dating and early in our marriage, my wife always insisted on me driving or paying the tab in a restaurant. Then after years, the, her bossiness returned. And as you so wisely stated, men hate, nothing men hate more than fighting with their wives. So you please your wife to go along and things start to become more and more difficult. Mm -hmm. And then it became difficult for him. He says it becomes difficult for me to ever trust a woman again. If she's been raised on a steady diet of female empowerment and who hasn't, then no matter how feminine she is in the beginning in a crisis, she will revert back to her female empowerment frame of mind. What would you tell that man if he had written that to you or if he sought out your help? I'd get the big stick out and I'd say, quit crying, you baby. <laughs> no, I'd tell him, I said, that's a bullshit excuse. I'd say, you are blaming this woman's behavior on whatever's gone. Oh, I gave in to her. I gave in to her because she was bossy. She was controlling. That's an excuse. And now he's projected that onto all women. I'll never trust again because women bait and switch with femininity and then they become bossy and controlling. Yes, people, when they get in relationships, show up with their best foot forward. Everybody does that, right? He probably did a lot of nice things that he quit doing after about three months as well. That everybody does that. Now, I, I'm a big believer of, you know, keep dating your partner for a lifetime. Agreed. Oh, could not agree treat, more. Treat, yes. Treating them like you did on, on that third date. Absolutely. And, but the deal is women test men all the time. And, and it, in, the, in the pickup world, it's called, world, it's called shit testing. Yeah. They're, they're testing to see, do you have your shit together? Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of my wife. My, my wife is Latina. She's a strong woman. Uh, we, I, she, she's, she's a Mexican woman. And mm-hmm. so I live mm-hmm. here in Mexico. And, um, and she's had to be strong all of her life. But she, does, she tells me all the time, you know, in Spanish, says, I've got big huevos. Said they're probably bigger than yours, but I never want my balls to be bigger than my man. No, and she told right. me. She said, "I love it when you tell me no." Yep. And said, "I, I love that." Oh, I'm and so it, glad you brought that up. Go ahead. I want to go ahead. She's, she's told me that many times. She says, "I don't want to say jump, and you say how high." She says, I, "I," and she goes, "I know I'm strong." And she is a very, very strong woman. And she loves being feminine. She loves to dress up. She loves me telling where we're going to go on our regular. Well, we did have regular Saturday night date night before coronavirus. Yeah. She loves that I do that and she is still just she's the strongest human being yeah. i know physically and temperamentally but but a story i'll tell is that when we were dating she bought an old piece of shit car i called mm-hmm. it coche fea which just means ugly car mm-hmm. um and, and it, it was it was bad in so many ways but she always wanted me to drive and so i, w- I was scared to drive this thing around on mexican streets and and you know it's, they're crazy here you don't yeah. have to get a driver's okay. license so anyway <laughs> I've taken oh her back to, to her work. <laughs> yeah, she she bought her driver's license for five hundred pesos. Oh my gosh! Okay, but she but she's a good driver. But anyway, this is back. She she was working um, at a spa. She she was a co-owner in a spa, and so I was driving her back to work one one late afternoon. We'd I think gone to get a bite to eat. And I'm driving her car, and I'm driving down this two lane one way street. And her spa is just to the left, but it's on a one way street coming this way. And she says, "You can just pull over here and let me out." And I said, "No." 
went a block further and put my left signal on to turn left to do a, go around the block. It was all one-way streets. And she knew where I was, she knew what I was doing. She said, well, you, she said, well, you can let me out here on this curb over here then, I'll just walk. And I said, no, turned left and then came to the stoplight and, and I saw a block and a half to go to get her in front of her. And I'm waiting at the stoplight. She says, well, I can just get out here. And I looked at her and said, no. And, and she moved over and gave me a big kiss there at the stoplight and said, I love it when you tell me no. Oh. I was looking out for her best interest. Yes. Let's, let, right? I'm so glad you told that story because that is such a great encapsulation of what, of what the ideal really is, is to understand why that is. You know, why, and that, that a strong woman does not mean having bigger balls than her man and that ultimately you can be strong but still want him to take care of you and i'm trying forever to get people to understand what that looks like and that was a great example of what that looks like because that reminded me of my husband and me he does the same thing he he'll he has to he's tamed me i guess is the only way to put it you know and a lot of people don't like that they think that sounds you know like your animals or something but at the end of the day <laughs> it's it's understanding that feeling of safety that I don't want to yeah. be in control of this. A woman who looks out of a woman who looks like she's in control of her relationship with her man because she's the dominant one is actually out of control. She yeah, feels she out feel of safe. control she because she does safe. not feel safe. So she's yeah. her horns are coming out as a reaction to like and and my listeners aren't entirely unfamiliar with this because I had GS Youngblood on and we talked about this. I know you know who that is who wrote the masculine in relationship. And he talked about that. It's about understanding that when the woman's acting that way, she's actually just feeling out of control and she's in pain and she wants you to step up. So rather than get angry at her for doing that, understand what she's saying. And you can actually turn that whole scene around. That goes back to the shit test. And I tell men treat a shit test as an opportunity to help your woman feel safe, trust you and open up more to who you are. And they don't want us to fail their shit test. Now, I do have to tell men, mean behavior is not a shit test. No, that's no. Just, that's just no. mean behavior. Yeah, yeah. But what my, what my then, now my now wife, but then girlfriend was doing, saying, you let me out here, she would have been happy to get out and walk. But, it, but every time I said no, I'm going to, basically, she knew I was going to drive her to the front door of her spa. Every time I said no, she felt safer with each no. Yes. And when a woman feels safe, they can open up, yep. they can trust, they can yep. be taken, and then yep. they're going to test you again because yep. we, are, we are the woman's security system, and they got to keep testing it to make sure it's secure. Yeah. And, and so for the answer to that guy, I'd say at some point, he started failing the shit test, started giving in because it was the easy yeah, way to go for him, and then started blaming the woman for being bossy and controlling. And I hear from those men, believe me, they're on my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you know, if they are, they've given up and they don't understand and they just think that women suck. And so I can't do anything with that. I pretty much ignore no. them as long as they don't curse or anything. I let them branch, but it, I can't do anything for that. If your mindset is, is, is that way. And that's why they need a guy like me to get the big stick. There out you go. Say, Listen, let's, yeah. let's shift this. Let's look at this as an opportunity for growth and, and to quit blaming, you know, all of women for your experience with this one woman you were exactly. in relationship with, that both of you brought your own exactly. baggage to it and it exactly. both played out together. Exactly. I'm not kidding you when I say I'm going to send people to you. I'm going to send the husbands or the men to you because I think it's just better coming from you than it is from me. I mean, how could it not be, you know? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay. <laughs> this has been great, Robert. I really appreciate your coming on. What an awesome conversation. So close to home for my work. Um, just love it. Just love it. Where can people Thank find you. out more about you? Um, easy enough. Just go to drglover.com. That's a D-R-G-L-O-V-E-R. If they Google no more Mr. Nice Guy, if they Google Robert Glover, I got like the top 10 spaces on both of those pages. So easy enough to find. Awesome. Excellent. Well, you take care of yourself down there in Mexico. I've never been to Mexico, believe it or not. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> need, you need to make a trip down. Yeah, There's now I have a, a new friend there. lovely places. There you go. Suzanne, thank you for the invitation. And uh, thank you for the work that you're doing, making the world a better place. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again. Awesome. Thank you, Robert. You take care. And that ends this hour of the Suzanne Venker Show. Don't forget to tune in next week when we talk to Tiffany Couch, founder of Let's Get Real, a website and blog committed to helping people make decisions based on actual data rather than on emotions. Finally, don't forget to continue the conversation on Facebook. Just type in the Suzanne Venker Show in the Facebook search bar and it should come right up. Also, please recommend this podcast to one friend you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to leave us a review on whatever platform you're now using. And if you have a question or comment for me, you can email me at Suzanne at the Suzanne Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week.